All right, Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2. And uh, what a great day yesterday. I want to say a couple thanks, and I know I say this all the time, but when you start naming people, people feel left out. Please don't feel left out if I don't name you today. Um, but uh, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> gave a problem to Jason. Uh, the speakers in the nursery were not working and uh, couldn't figure that out. And uh, Jason went to work on it, researching, looking, and was able to find a solution for it yesterday and get the stereo working or the speaker working in the nursery. So thank you, Jason, for that. And I uh, sure appreciate that. And then all the hard work put in by everybody yesterday. Um, <clears throat> it's nice to see we've got a few new things up in the auditorium. Uh, Tyler continues to work very hard as the deacon to get stuff done, and, and I greatly appreciate that as well. Thank you for everybody that donated stuff uh, to the yard sale and, uh, and put in effort and work. We really do appreciate uh, it. does not go unnoticed. It does not uh, go unthanked. And uh, so thank you very much. I brag on you, the church, to my pastor friends and tell them how I have the best church uh, people in the world. And uh, their, their church members are just uh, bums. But... Uh, Nonetheless, sadly, most of the time they agree. But uh, anyways, uh, not our church. We're not bums. Uh, so it's thank you for your hard work and your effort. I do joke slightly there, but uh, uh, thank you so much for everything that you're doing and making our church uh, bring glory to the Lord uh, through the way that uh, we try to keep it clean and uh, up to date and, and, and everything with that. So thank you for that. We started Nehemiah last week. And uh, with the effort of looking, really kind of uh, looking at how it relates to our current situation in our country, when we are trying to do what God is pleased by, we are trying to follow God in the things that He has told us to do. And, and in Nehemiah's case, the uh, children of Israel, Jerusalem, uh, it was in physical turmoil, along with political turmoil. It was in physical turmoil. The gates were burned, the walls were broken down, and... We talked last week as Nehemiah had a burden to see that be improved. He wanted to be a part of the solution. He wanted to uh, give of himself to go and make a difference. And we closed out chapter 1 last week by looking at the prayer that Nehemiah prayed to the Lord, asking for his help as he was going to approach the king and ask him for help as well. And so we pick that up in Nehemiah chapter 2. And just as a text, and we will cover most of the chapter today, but let's look in verse 17. Nehemiah 2 and verse 17, and we'll see the context of this in a moment, but Nehemiah uh, travels to Jerusalem and, and uh, he tours Jerusalem. And in verse 17 he says, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we may be no more a reproach. I thought that was a good verse to read to start the sermon this morning because when you look at America today, um, you could argue that right now from the outside looking in we're a reproach. Now you may not think that, and if you don't, that's perfectly fine. But in a way, if you're looking at it from the inside out, I look at America today and go, spiritually we're a reproach. We have been for a long time. It's not new. Um, and, and we look at just the, the chaos, the uncertainty, the things going on in our country, and I wonder, do any of us have the heart or the burden that Nehemiah had for Jerusalem when it comes to our country? 
I've been careful to say we should never confuse patriotism with Christianity. It's two different things. Although they can mesh, and they often do, uh, they are different. You can be patriotic and not be Christian, and you can be Christian and to a degree not be patriotic. Uh, uh, there's a lot that would go into that statement, so, so pardon me for not going deep dive on that this morning. But uh, here in Nehemiah, he was patriotic in the sense that he, his country was in trouble and he wanted to see it fixed. But he was Christian in how he handled it by expecting God and asking God to help him do so, to make the changes necessary, uh, to help him be a part of that solution. And in verse 17 he says, Let us build the wall of Jerusalem for the purpose that we are no more a reproach. And I wonder if we look at our country today and we would say the same thing. God, help us. Help us to rise up and build so that people don't look at our country anymore. What most people would consider a Christian country and I understand we, not everything we do in this country is Christian, but uh, if you ask most people in the world, is America a Christian country, they would say yes. But right now, I think we're a reproach, especially in this, the terms of Christianity. And so today, I encourage you to rise up and build, and we'll do that by looking at four points here uh, this morning that will help us to do so. God, I pray for your help this morning as we look into your Word. God, I want to be so careful that I don't take out of context these verses. These are just talking about Jerusalem and Israel. It's not talking about America, but Lord, I know it is applicable to us as Christians today. Those of us that truly want to see our country changed for the better. Lord, that we want to get away from the, uh, the, uh, all the um, ungodliness that is in our country right now. And that stems from so many different degrees. But God, today I pray that you would help us to be encouraged, to be challenged, to rise up and to build. God, that we can build back the reputation. Lord, that we can build back the, the love for you um, that was present many, many, many years ago. God, I pray that you'd help us to be what we're supposed to be so that we can be a part of the solution. Help us today as we look into your word. Help me to present it clearly and correctly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want us to look at four points, uh, all starting with the word keep. And it will help us then to maintain, hopefully, what you're already doing. Alright, number one, keep the issues or the problems in perspective. Number one, keep the issues or the problems in perspective. If you look at our country today, and more than likely the things that you are passionate about are the things that you see the most. Um, if you are passionate about... Um, about a topic, you're going to be more informed about that topic. So sometimes we have problems in America, not, not well, that's all the time, but sometimes we have problems in America, and the problems that we are passionate about are the problems that we just, that's the ones we see. We're blind, maybe, to some other issues going on in our country that are also a problem in our country. And we get stuck on one issue or two issues, and we ignore meaning that we never try to fix, we never try to solve, we never try to be a help in the other problems. I learned very quickly when I became a pastor that there are two sides to every story, talking about counseling with people. And I've shared this before, but uh, I mean, there are people, you talk, talk to the husband and he would say one thing, you talk to the wife and she would say the exact opposite thing. You talk to them together and there would be a kind of a weird uh, uh, mesh of the two ideas uh, when they're in the same room together. And it's, it's interesting when you realize the entirety of the, the problem. Uh, 
If you only know part of the problem, you're going to have a hard time solving the problem. In America, we have many issues that are uh, plaguing our country today. We have lost morality in our country. Um, you talk about that in, in, in different forms, but uh, our country is not very moral today. It's very much do as I do or I want to do or do as the person who I support does and what they want to do. And, and we've lost just a moral compass, it seems like, in our country today. I am very much against abortion, and I have no problem with sharing that from this pulpit or any other platform that I have. I'm very much against the murdering of innocent lives. And, and I sit here, and I, it's something that I can talk about all day. I can argue with people. I can fight with people. I can support people. I can do all those sorts of things. But abortion and that moral issue in our country that goes much further than that as well is not the only problem that we have in America. We have a problem uh, in America today with pride. We have a problem in America today with hate. We have a problem in America today uh, with selfishness. We have a problem just with, I mean, you can go any direction if you want to get specific on things. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to step back and see all the issues. Look in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 12. Nehemiah now has arrived. We're going to kind of work backwards in the chapter today. Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem. And he says, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that I was under, that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. Nehemiah came with a purpose, right? He came to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. But before he gave his rousing speech in verse 17, before he shared the vision that he had with everybody that was there, he first went out and viewed the whole city. He got the entire perspective. Now you could look at this in a strategic standpoint as far as what needed to be done first. He needed to know what the whole problem was so he knew how to prioritize how they were going to build or what they were going to build or fix first. But you see, again, we look in America and we can see the problems that we agree with that are problems. But I promise you, I say I promise you, I do. Uh, there is problems in America that you haven't paid much attention to, just as I have not. There are problems in America because you're not passionate about it, you've kind of turned a blind eye to and you've kind of thought, well, it's really not that important, or it's not that critical, or I don't see it as a problem. I've shared this with you too, but racism in America is much more prevalent than I realized. Three years ago is when I started paying attention to it. And, and as I paid attention to it, I asked questions, I did a little bit of reading, I did some research, and I realized, wow, this is a much more of an issue than I realized it was. And in my life growing up, when people said, oh, we're still a racist country, we got all this racism problems in the church and all these kind of things, I always said that's not true. And the reason was because I didn't see it personally. It wasn't in my family. It wasn't in the church that I was in. It, it was never an issue for, for, for me because it was never made an issue. But very quickly, I learned it is a massive issue in our country today. It may not be um, exactly as you see it on the news, but it is still a problem. 
It is still an issue. And it took some stepping back. It took some uh, uh, putting it into perspective. It took some uh, seeing it with my own eyes before I realized this is a problem that I need to be a part of the solution on. And see, it's that way with many issues in America because we have political views, because we have personal opinions, because we have uh, ways that we were raised or, or regions of the country we were raised in. We see problems differently, but we need to be able to step back and realize there's more problems in America than probably what I thought there was to begin with. We can't solve America's problems. Um, obviously, we can't do it without God anyhow, but we cannot solve America's problems without knowing what the problems are. The solution, by the way, is going to be pretty much the same all the way around. It's going to come back to God. It's going to come back to the need for God in homes, in communities, in states, in countries. That's ultimately going to be the solution, yes. But in order for me to be a part of the solution, I need to understand what the problems are. And before Nehemiah started building, he assessed the entire situation. Number one, keep the issues or the problems in perspective. Number two, keep asking for help. You can't do it alone. Uh, so many times as young people, as we begin to, to grow into our personalities and things, we see ways that we can have an impact or a way that we can get involved. And so we just try to do it by ourselves. At age 26, when I became a pastor and I walked into the church in Indiana, uh, I, I kind of went in with the mindset of, I can do this. And I learned very quickly I couldn't do it. Not only could I not do it on my own without God, but I couldn't do it without the rest of the church either. And I learned and I was humbled very quickly in the role as a pastor to understand that I needed to ask people for help. There are things that people are better at than me. That's hard for me to believe sometimes, but it's true. There are things that people are better at than me. Um, I don't like to paint, but I do it very quickly. And so sometimes if it's a painting job, I'll just do it because I say I can get it done in 30 minutes and it might take someone else two days. And uh, now I don't need to say, well, yeah, we can tell when you paint. But uh, uh, you see, there's those kind of things. Uh, there's different areas in life as well. Nehemiah here, he was about to, to go on a, quite the adventure. And he realized he was going to need some help. Look in verse number three. Nehemiah says, and he said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city and the place of my father's sepulchres hath, uh, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Look in verse 5. And he sa I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting uh, by him, For in how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let, the letters, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which um, appertained to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So Nehemiah here is getting ready to go and he's going to try to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But he understands that he needs some help. Now please understand, obviously, and I'm, I hope this doesn't go unnoticed, and we'll talk about it at the end of the sermon, but without God's help, Nehemiah was going to accomplish nothing. But 
We also have to understand in life, there are people who not only can help us, are willing to help us. And sometimes we spend so much energy and time trying to do something for God on our own. When God says, I've given you a church to do it with you. I've given you like-minded believers in Christ that have talents that you don't have, that have abilities that you don't have, that have knowledge that you don't have, that have access that you don't have, that can make this much easier on you. Ask for help. Nehemiah went to the king. He was the king's cupbearer. We read that at the end of chapter 1. He comes before the king and his countenance is low. He's sad. And the king notices his countenance as being sad. So he asked him, what's wrong with you? That's paraphrased, by the way. Uh, what's wrong with you? Why are you so sad? And Nehemiah says, how could I not be sad? My homeland, my country, it's in shambles. So he says, King, I need your help. First of all, would you grant me? Would you allow me to go? Then he says, would you give me some letters so that I can give them to the governors for safe passage to get through uh, where I need to get through? Then would you also grant me the, uh, the supplies that I need by giving me letters for Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, um, so that we can get the timber that we need, the lumber that we need to build the things that we need to build? Nehemiah didn't rush off to Jerusalem before first asking for the help that he needed. The king gave him more help than he asked for, by the way. Uh, he sent him some people along with him and some different things. But uh, here, we need to remember that when we're talking about the problems that we see in our country, we need to ask for help. We need to ask the, uh, the person in the pew next to us or behind us or in front of us, Hey, will you pray with me about this? Hey, would you go with me? on this day, to go talk to this person? Hey, would you help me? Uh, I, I want to talk to my coworker, and I've not done that before, and, and I, I just need some help. Would you give me some ideas on kind of how to start that conversation or how to have that conversation? You see, God has given us the command. He has given us the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We can't do that on our own. We ask missionaries to help us to go in different places across the globe Maybe sometimes we're asking for people's help when God says, I told you to do it. But many times we kind of falter the other way too where we, we say, God says, I want y'all to do it. But I think, no, I can handle it on my own. Ask for help. Keep asking for help. Number three, keep on working. I bragged on you all this weekend um, to some friends just saying how Every week, I watch as people in our church are working, laboring, doing their part uh, to be a part of this church and to, to make it better. Uh, again, our purpose is not to brag about the things that God has given us, but to brag about the God that has given us the things. But we want to make sure that the things God has given us we use properly so that it gives proper glory to God as well, and, and you all have been working so hard to do that since we moved about a month ago. But look here in verse number 3. We need to keep working. Verse number 5, excuse me. Um, Nehemiah said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah. Nehemiah didn't ask for a group. He didn't ask for the most skilled, but he said, Would you send me? 
that I can go and do this? Would you send me to go to work? I, I am, uh, as a young person, I learned very quickly it was easier to have other people do it for you. <laughs> when I was 11 and started working with horses, I couldn't throw the saddle up on the horse. I was, I was too small, too weak. Um, when I was 18, I was still, I was taller, I was just too weak. But no, at 11, um, they would have someone else throw the saddle up for me. And uh, that was in the beginning of the summer. By the end of the summer, I would ask somebody, hey, can you throw my saddle up? And the guy in charge said, no, you do it. I said, but I'm 11. He said, then go home. <laughs> if you're not going to do it, then why are you here? I think sometimes we get to that point where we think, well, someone else can do it. And we've talked about asking for help. If someone else is better at it than us and they're willing to help out, let's get their help. But there are going to be times where we see, we talked about it last week, see the need, take the lead. This needs to be done. I can do it. Lord, would you allow me to do it? God, would you let me lead that area? God, would you let me work in that place? Allow me to be a part. Allow me to work. Now, look in verse 17. We already read it, but he says, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, uh, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. It's work. Building a wall, I don't build walls, but I understand that building a wall takes work. What Nehemiah is asking for the people to do here, yeah, he's, he's asking for, for work to get accomplished, but he says, let us. That includes himself. Let us work. Let us build. Let us uh, do what is necessary. He saw the need that was there and he was taking the lead. And we talked about that last week with, him, with Nehemiah as well. He says, I see the problem and I want to be a part of the solution. Now I'm going to need help, so he's going to ask for help. I'm going to need guidance. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. He asked God for guidance. But at the end of the day, Nehemiah said, I'm not going to stop working. I'm going to keep working. There are times when work gets lonely. It's easy to look around and go, where's everybody else? Why, why isn't anybody else doing this? Why am I the one that always has to do this? I tell you, if you're doing it for the Lord, you're going to receive a reward. And the others that, that skipped out on it are not going to receive the reward. The blessings that you get for serving God uh, are far greater than the blessings that you get for skipping out on what God's asked you to do. I grew up in a ministry that always taught no matter who you are, you're not too high uh, to, to, to work. Uh, you're going to get asked to clean toilets. You're going to get asked to carry tables. You're going to get asked to move chairs. You're going to get asked to do things that you think you were past. But you're never point, at a point where you're too high on the totem pole to work. It's a valuable lesson. It's one I never liked, but uh, nonetheless, it's always true. I remember when I became a pastor, uh, my, my first thought was, I'll never have to move tables and chairs again. I'm telling you, I was so excited. Working at camp, I was moving tables and chairs all the time. And I was so excited, I became a pastor. Now, I don't have to move any tables and chairs. Within the first week we were at the church, we were going to have a dinner. Guess what I was doing? Moving tables and chairs. And I remember thinking to myself, isn't it supposed to be better than this? They could have at least bought the light chairs and the light tables, but no. Here I am hauling tables and chairs throughout a gym building because why? 
Well, because I'm here. <laughs> because I can. Because no matter who we are, we're not too high on the totem pole to work. Keep working. Nehemiah had a, saw a problem. And he wanted to be a part of the solution. So the first thing he did is he kept the issues in perspective. Then he kept asking for help. Then he kept on working. And number four, and the most important thing we're going to learn today, is keep God at the center of everything. Keep God at the center of everything. Look in verse number four. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? Now let me ask you, let me stop there for just a moment. Did Nehemiah know what he was going to ask for? Yes. He knew it in verse 11 of chapter 1. So the king asks him, What request do you have? And in verse 4 he says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Verse 5, And I said unto the king, before he requested this from the king, he had already prayed about this in verse 11 of chapter 1, but before he spoke again to the king, he prayed to the God of heaven. He kept God at the center of it all. It wasn't about patriotism. It was about doing what God wanted him to do and doing it God's way and God's timing. And he kept God at the center of it all and he said, God, there's a problem and I want to be a part of the solution. And the king can help in this solution as well. So God, help me to have favor with the king. He gets favor with the king. And the king says, what request do you have? So he prayed again. I don't know if you've ever had the conversation with someone. And right before your mouth opened in your head, you went, Lord, please help me not to say something stupid. Lord, help me to, not to say something that's going to offend. Lord, help me not to say something that's wrong. Help me not to say whatever. I've had many of those prayers. He prayed to the God of heaven, and then he said to the king and requested. Look in verse number 12. And I arose in the night, and I found uh, some few men with me. me excuse me, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do. It wasn't Nehemiah's vision. It was God's vision. It wasn't Nehemiah's task. It was God's task. He kept God at the center of it all. It wasn't, King, I want to go build Jerusalem. It wasn't, people, come build Jerusalem with me. It was, God gave me this vision. Not a literal vision, all right? God gave me this vision. This is what God wants me to do. And he says at this point, he says, I haven't told any man what my God has put in my heart to do. He hadn't told anybody yet that, hey, the reason why I'm here is because God put this on my heart to do. We talk about this with giving sometimes. God put it on my heart to give this amount for this purpose. And some people scoff at that, and I've never understood why, but some people scoff at that. If God puts it on your heart to do, then go do it whatever it is, and go do it. Keep God at the center of it. Sometimes we confuse my desires, sometimes my good desires, with God's calling or with God's vision. Well, I want to do this, and it's a good cause. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's not evil. It's not wicked. It's not sinful. I want to do this. So because I want to, I'm sure God wants me to, and so I'll go do it. That's a difference between that and, Lord, do you want me to do this? God, do you want me to do this? 
God, can you give me some guidance, some vision, some uh, leading in this matter? Keep God at the center of it all. Pray. Use God's vision. Look in verse 18. (coughs) Excuse me. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words which he has spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. He comes here and, and he uses God's authority. Here he says, and it goes as well with the vision, but he says, I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me. The reason why I'm here, the reason why we're doing this, the, the, the provision that he's already made, it's by God's authority that I come here and I ask you to build with me. We have in front of us God's authority right here. The Bible, God's Word. I was always taught and always trained that the Bible is the sole authority of the Christian's life. God is the sole authority of the Christian's life. I believe the Bible to be God's Word. I believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. Having God's authority, God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. God tells me many things and I have the authority through Scripture to go then and do. As the pastor and the preacher, none of my opinions are authority. But the authority that I have to stand in front of you and share a message is God's God's authority. I was always told there are three things involved in preaching. Authority, persuasion, and teaching. It starts with the authority, God's Word. If you're going to preach something and it's not God's Word, then you should just stop right there and not even say it. Persuasion is illustrations to to back up your points, and then teaching is teaching. It's not too difficult. Uh, But authority is number one. Without the authority, why do we preach? Sure, there are men who try to use um, false authority, claim their title as authority, but at the end of the day, it is God who is the authority over the church and over the Christian. And here, Nehemiah, by keeping God at the center of everything, he had God's authority. He couldn't go to Jerusalem on his own and build walls on his own and be successful. On his own authority, it wouldn't work that way. But on God's authority, it did. Look in verse 19 and 20. It says, But when Sanballat, the Heronite, Tobiah, the servant, then the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel or rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I find it interesting here because they come and they scorn Nehemiah and they ask a question, will ye rebel against the king? He didn't say, I've got letters from the king. He didn't say, I'm here with the approval of the king. No, he said, the God of heaven... He will prosper us. He kept God at the center of it all. 
He didn't focus in on these three men and the uprisal they will bring, and we'll, we'll see that in, in coming chapters. He didn't focus in on their negativity or their uh, ridicule or their scorn. He responded by keeping God at the center of it all. God of heaven, He will prosper us. Therefore, we, His servants, we're going to rise up and build. You see, when we keep the issues in perspective, when we keep asking for help, when we keep on working, and when we keep God at the center of everything, we can accomplish things without fear and without reserve. Nehemiah was up against some challenges. I don't know if he saw them at this point yet or not. I think he did, but nonetheless, he was going to face some real obstacles. But by keeping God at the center of it all, we can keep on. In America, we have many problems with one simple solution. That doesn't mean that getting that solution is going to be simple. That doesn't mean that fixing the problems are going to be simple. It's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of, uh, of, of understanding to a degree, the problems that we face. Understanding why our neighbors are upset, why our co-workers are upset. It's going to take some stepping back and listening and understanding. It's going to take a lot of work, effort, time, energy. But at the end of the day, the most important thing we can do is keep God right there smack dab in the middle of it all. Because with God, the Bible says, all things are possible. The Bible says that uh, who can be against us if God is for us? The Bible says that the world will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. God has overcome the world. That's why we've got to keep God right there in the center. It has nothing to do with us. Everything to do with Him. So I encourage you, yes, keep the issues in perspective. Yes, ask for help. Yes, keep on working. But most of all, just keep God in the middle of it all. I'm an opinionated person. It's easy for me to allow my opinions to step into the forefront. Don't do that. God, what do you want from me? God, how do you want me to respond to this? Do you want me to respond to this? God, how can I help? Our country needs to be rebuilt. So I ask you to rise up and build with me. And let's let God use us to be a part of the solution just as he did Nehemiah. God, I pray for your help because we desperately need it. God, I pray that you would guide us, direct us, lead us to do what you'd have us to do. Show us as individuals. Show us as a family. Show us as a church how you want us to be a part of the solution. What you want us to do. Lord, where do you want us to start building? And God, I pray that together we would rise up and build. Lord, our country is broken. And we know that it desperately needs you. God, I pray that you'd use us to build our country back. Give us passion, give us a burden, 
Give us the love that we need. Lord, help us to work to accomplish, we pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. As the piano plays, we'll have a time of invitation. You can stay at your seat if you'd like. You can come to the front if you'd like. But if the Lord has spoken to you about something today, I pray that you just take just a moment, pray about it with the Lord, ask Him for help. Maybe you haven't had the burden for our country that you know you need. Would you ask God for it? Maybe you haven't had the willingness to work to be a part of the solution. Would you ask God for help and forgiveness in that? Maybe you've put your opinions ahead of God's. Maybe God has not been the center of the solutions that you've been thinking of. Would you take a moment to put God right where He's supposed to be? Prioritize Him above all. I'm going to be quiet as the piano plays. Take a moment to pray as God has called you to do so.